Did you know that some of the churches are not holding worship services today? It just because it's December 31. Because they believe that not a lot of people will come to church. But we don't believe that. We believe that God is worthy of worship whether it's December 31 or January 1. God's glory and greatness is not diminished by how many people worship him. He's still good. He's still God. He's still worthy of worship. So today, even if it's the last day of the year, we come and worship God because we believe that he is worthy of worship. Now, tonight, you will be celebrating the, the New Year's Eve. You will be indulging yourself with food. And I get that. Well, we might be able to, I mean, kind of forget the, the program that we are into. So tonight, you will be greeting some of your friends, having a meal with your family and friends, and celebrating the, the move of 2023 to 2024. This is, for us, significant. And tomorrow, you will start thinking of New Year's resolution. That's what we always do. What's, what's going to happen uh, next year? And maybe you will go back on track as to your second attempt to losing that weight. <laughs> we always do that every year. So whatever that you decide to do next year is going to be something that is, I think, or I believe that, that you will decide based on how you project your future. But here's the question, and I think a significant question for all of us. What do you think, or what makes the changing of the year significant? Isn't it just another year from December 31 to January 1? What, what's so important? What's so, what's so interesting about December 31 to January 1? What makes the changing of the year significant? If you haven't figured this out, my prayer is that this sermon will change the way you look at New Year. This is the last installment to our sermon series, Christmas is Not What You Think It Is. So we talked about the genealogy of Jesus. We talked about Emmanuel. We talked about the scandal that surrounded his birth. We talked about the manger last week. Today, I want to focus on the star and the people who tracked the star and reached Bethlehem. They were called the Magi or the Magi, the star and the Magi. Now, to the 21st, so to the first century Jews, including Mary and Joseph, when they look at the stars, the moon, and the, and the sun, they look at the heavenly bodies differently than we look at them today. When we look at the sun, the moon, and the stars today, we just appreciate the heavens. We appreciate the heavenly bodies. If you're an avid astronomer, you bought an, a, micro, uh, a telescope, and you're looking at the, you know, the galaxies and the the comets, and the moon, you look at the heavenly bodies differently. But in the, in the first century, they look at the heavenly bodies differently. They look at the heavenly bodies as something that affects our lives. Now, we're using a, a different calendar today. It's, it started in the 15th century. It's called the Gregorian calendar. But the Jews have a different calendar and their, their calendar was based on the creation of the world. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. When God created the world, he said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. That means the Jewish calendar 
is about looking at the sky, looking at the sun, the moon, and the stars, and marking days and years and signs and seasons. That's how they look at it. But we look at it differently. This Before the GPS technology, the mariners, those who navigate the sea, would look at the North Star, look at the sun and the moon and the position of the heavenly bodies to navigate the vast ocean. Now, we don't do... Some, some still do that now, but we don't do that uh, as much as we can because we have GPS technology. But back in the day, the first century, some mystics who are called diviners used the sun, the moon, the stars, and the heavenly bodies. And when they look at it, they see something different. There's a religious and philosophical side to looking at the heavenly bodies. For example, in Shinto, Japan, they believe that the royal family is descended from the sun. And the emperor himself is descended from the sun. And that is why at the end of the Second World War, anyone who lived in the Second World War? Okay. At the end of the Second World War, when Jeremy MacArthur wants Japan to surrender, it was not the emperor who surrendered. It was the foreign minister who surrendered. Because if it was the emperor, the citizens of Japan would have had mass suicide. They will not accept the defeat of Japan, because they believe that emperor is divine, descended from the sun. This is how they look at it. Also in the ancient Near East, the Babylonians and the Persians also believe that the sun, the moon, and the stars are deities in the sky. And when they look at the sky, they see God looking down to earth. That's how they look here. They look, that's how they look in the sky. So when the ancients look in the sky, it's more than to navigate the ocean. It's more than to mark the days and season. It's to predict the future and to know what's going to happen in the future. That's how they look at it. Now, I want to be clear with this one. There are two things that are probably confusing to, to all of us. Astronomy and astrology. They sound different, but they're entirely different. They sound the same, but they're entirely different. Astronomy is the science of looking at this heavenly bodies, the galaxies, and the stars, and the comets, and the sun, and the moon. Astrology is the religious kind. Astrology is when people look at the heavenly bodies and the position of it, and they say, something is going to happen here on earth. If you go to Chinatown, there's what we call horoscope. Anyone? All right? If you go to any any Chinese buffet, at the end of the meal, you go outside, you pay your bills, and there's a stack of crackers, sweet crackers. And then when you peel it, in your cracker, there's a, a piece of paper that tells you, uh, today you will meet 10 people, you will have to say so-and-so. Or today, you have to pay your debt and you will be successful, whatever. It's horoscope. It's astrology. It's part of astrology. Now, the thing is, Astrology is prohibited for the Israelites. They're not allowed to consult spirits and look at and read the celestial bodies that has something to do with us. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10. God said, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter. Now, apparently, in the ancient world, people do child sacrifices. Even today, there are still some countries who do child sacrifices. In fact, we have that one in California. There's a rumor about the Bohemian Grove 
that offers child sacrifices, the elites gather once a year and they do it. Now, I don't know. It's a rumor. It says anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens. Now, here it goes. Interpret omens. Anything that happens in the sky, any movement of the stars, that's an omen. So anyone who interprets omens are considered forbidden by God. Or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. Now, not many of you have watched ghosts, you know, um, who are these? Patrick Swayze and uh, Whoopi Goldberg, the ghost, where, are you still with me? Can you relate? <laughs> you know, if, you're, if your loved one dies, there's always, there's always a longing for connection. So we try that. We try to connect with them. But the Bible prohibits us from doing so. We're not even allowed to pray to them or to communicate to them based on Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, 10 and 12. Even if you love them, even if you miss them, we are not allowed to communicate to the dead. It's very clear here. Because in verse 12, it says, For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Abomination is the ew, yuck, abomination. You won't do it because God doesn't like it. So Deuteronomy chapter 18 is very clear that astrology is a form of reading omens or interpreting omens, and it's prohibited by God. Did you know that the founder of North Korea, Kim Il-sung, the father of the Kim Jong-il today, when he was born, it was believed that there were omens in the sky. Birds were singing, and there were bright stars, and there, were, there was a double rainbow in the horizon of the mountains. That's why he became the founder of North Korea, interpreting omens in the sky. Astrology works as a form of divination, and practitioners receive some kind of spiritual help to be able to interpret it. Now, people, when they look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, and, and the vast galaxies, they don't, they don't just come with conclusion like, something's going to happen today. Or, or there's something that's going to happen in the near future. They get help. They get interpretation from something. Now, we know that wisdom comes from either two sources. One, either the angels in the New Testament, the angel went to Joseph in a dream. The angel also showed Mary what's going to happen. The angel also showed to Zechariah. There are angels appearing in the, in the Bible where they say what's going to happen in the future. It's called prophecy. But there's also another source to the interpretation of what's happening in the sky, another form of spirit, the evil kind. And at this moment, what, what the Bible is saying in Deuteronomy chapter 3 is that there are diviners, people who look at the sky, and they know the interpretation because they get help from different spirits. And God prohibits them from doing so. Now, what's interesting is in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar marched to Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took the Ark of the Covenant, and he brought the nobles back to Babylon. And what the nobles who were brought there were, was Daniel and his three other friends. Now, if you're thinking that the three other friends are the, the three kings who went to visit Jesus, it's not, okay? Daniel's three friends are different from the three kings who visited Jesus. In fact, they're not three kings, 
in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And when he woke up, he forgot his dream. But he called all the wise men and the diviners and he said, tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation of my dream. Of course, nobody would know. The wise men would not know unless they know the dream. So they said, mighty Nebuchadnezzar, we need to know your dream before we can interpret your dream. But Nebuchadnezzar was angry. Daniel chapter 2 verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. We're, think, we're talking about diviners, wise men. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now the story goes, Daniel was threatened. And so Daniel prayed to the Lord, gathered his friend, prayed to the Lord, and God revealed the dream and the interpretation of the dream. Very interesting. None of the diviners had the dream or the interpretation of the dream. Nobody knows except Daniel when he got a word from the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is that God revealed the interpretation of this dream. And Nebuchadnezzar had this dream that spells the future of the kingdom up to the time of the Romans. That was his dream. So when you talk about wise men, you're talking about diviners who read the stars. So when you go to the book of Matthew and you read wise men, you have to make connections. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, we're talking about diviners, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, if you're thinking this wise, wise men are kings, they're not kings. They're not magicians. They are diviners. They read the stars. They are more astrologers than astronomers. And they came from Babylon. Now, when they looked up to the sky, they saw this particular star, and they tracked this star until they reached Bethlehem. And they said to Herod that this star meant a Jewish king was born. Question is, where did, this get, did they get the idea? The answer is Daniel. In the time of Daniel, Daniel would have influenced them. So when Daniel gave the interpretation and the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, he made him the chief of the diviners. He became one of the top advisors of Nebuchadnezzar. So he influenced this group of diviners who look at the stars and interpret the omens. So they said, we saw the star and this star means a Jewish king was born. Where could they, they probably get this idea? If Daniel had influenced them, Daniel would have introduced the book of Numbers. Because in the book of Numbers, there's an oracle about this star. Now, maybe this is the first time you've been hearing this, but Balaam, who was, who was supposed to assassinate, I mean, prophesy badly against the Israelites, gave oracles. And in Numbers, he made an oracle in Numbers 24, verse 17. He said, I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. 
It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of, I don't want to mispronounce this, Sheth. I just maybe want to be careful. Now it says that a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter. When you're talking about a scepter, it's a rod that is held by a king that symbolizes his authority, scepter. So the prophecy is about this king who will hold the scepter, who will crush the forehead of Moab. Now there's a lot of things going on here, but I'm not going to go to Moab right now. What I'm trying to say is that there's an oracle about the star of Jacob, and these wise men saw it. They've read the book of Numbers. L- let me g- introduce you to the constellations. So the wise men saw an alignment of stars in the sky. We call it constellations. The pathway of that, th- that constellation is called the zodiac. Now, we're not astrologers here. We're just saying the terms so that we understand better. And it's only a matter of time when these wise men put in two and two together, when they saw the stars and they saw the movements of the celestial bodies and they read and interpret what it means. So the question is, what made them travel? What, they, what made them decide to travel from Babylon all the way to Bethlehem just to track the star? What's so special about this star? They said the Jewish king was born. What's so special about this Jewish king? So they saw constellations in the sky. We're going to talk about three constellations. I want you to put your thinking caps on because this is very important. Three constellations in the sky. Constellations mean there are a group of stars. You know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Here, constellation one, constellation two. It's all scattered over the sky. And I'm, I want to put three constellations now. One is Virgo, second is Leo, third is Hydra. There are scholars who believe that these wise men saw three constellations in the sky at the same time. Let's talk about Virgo. Virgo is a group of twinkle, twinkle little stars, group of constellations of, of the stars that looks like a woman. Now, I know it's a stick figure up there, but to astronomers, it looks like a woman who's lying down. All right? It may not mean much to you, but again, I'm saying... To astronomers, it looks like a woman. Virgo is a woman. Now, what's interesting in this Virgo is that the the pathway, again, the pathway of the constellation where the sun and the moon intersects, during that time, they saw the moon and the sun aligned in Virgo, in the woman. Now, hold that thought. The second constellation is Hydra. Now, Hydra is south of Virgo, it's a, bit, a little bit below. Hydra, uh, if you go to Chinese horoscope, you get the dragon. Hydra looks like a serpent in the sky. Again, if you're looking at the astronomy, it looks like a serpent because it's long. Now, Hydra is word for sea serpent in Greek. Hydra is also believed to be, in Greek mythology, the one that Hercules fought. So Hydra is a sea serpent and a dragon at the same time. So we got Virgo, we got Hydra. Now, if these wise men saw Virgo and Hydra, it may not mean much, but the alignment of the sun and the moon means a lot to the, to the Babylonians. That means there's something going on in the sky. But here's the third one, Leo. 
North of Virgo, there's another twinkle, twinkle, little star constellation that's called Leo. Leo means king. And what happened is that there is one planet and one star that intersected with each other during that time. The planet is Jupiter and the star is Regulus. Jupiter in Roman mythology is king. It's the biggest planet. Regulus in Babylonian mythology is king. So that means if you put three together, jackpot, there's something really going on here that nobody can deny. There's a king, there's a woman, and there's a serpent going on. Now, I want you to picture this because this may, be, this may not be too interesting, but when you put things together and you read what John says in Revelation 12, you will be astonished. When I was actually trying to, to read this and, and reflect on it, I was so amazed at how John was so precise in his prophecy about Revelation. So we have Leo, king, we have Virgo, the woman, we have Hydra, the serpent. Look at Revelation verse 12, verses 1 through 5. And a great sign appeared in heaven. Why is a great sign appeared in heaven? If we are taking John literally, he was not looking at a vision, he was looking at the sky. There was a great sign appeared in heaven. He was looking at the constellations in the sky. And it says, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. I would say that John was looking at Virgo and the constellations in the sky. He said she was pregnant and she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, this is his interpretation. Now, that is the vision. So as he was looking at the sky, he was also looking at a vision about this woman about to give birth. And then in verse 3, it says, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. Now, I would say that John was looking at Hydra. What is the seven heads and ten horns? He was not looking at a mythical creature here. The seven heads and ten horns corresponds to Cratis and Corvus. There's another twinkle, twinkle little star in the constellation of Hydra that looks like diadems, Corvus and Crater. In verse 4, it says, His tail swept down the third of the stars in heaven and cast them to the earth. Now, we think that this is about the rebellion of the angels, and one-third of the rebellion of the angels were cast down to earth as punishment. Now, I, I don't think that John is, is looking at it that way. Because in the constellation of Hydra, there's a big chunk of space that has no stars on it. That it looks like, or it seems like, he swept all the stars. It doesn't mean, it, it doesn't refer to the angelic rebellious beings who were swept down and brought to earth. And then it says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour her. Now watch this. Verse 5 is the most important thing. He said, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. What is he talking about? Now if you missed the explanation about the constellation, it's fine. But when you turn to verse 5, it's very definitive that this star is about this male child who was born king who will rule all the nations. Wait, 
Was there a prophecy in the Old Testament about the coming king who will rule all the nations in the world? Yeah. Genesis chapter 48. You know, when Jacob was about to die, he blessed all his children. He had 12 sons. But he gave a very specific blessing to Judah. Listen to, listen to Genesis 49. It says, Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouches as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter, again, we're talking about the scepter, the iron rod that symbolizes the authority of the king. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This is the equivalent of all the nations. Well, that means... Jacob prophesied that a king will come out from Judah. John was telling us about this king who is born, who will rule the nations. And the Magi, who was telling us also that the Jewish king was born. Finally, who will rule the nations? Question is, could it be a coincidence that the symbol for Judah is a lion? I don't think so. Could it be a coincidence that all of these are intersecting into one that there finally came a time when the, the king, the long-awaited king, was born to rule all the nations of the world. Now, I think John was very specific with this one. And I think John was trying to connect the dots for us so that we understand that what the Magi saw is what also he saw. Now, Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 says this. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, beginning from the church history up to now, there's never a person or a reference to any root of David, tribe of Judah, that is not Jesus Christ. The king that they are waiting for, the Messiah, is always rooted at the root of David, the tribe of Judah. This is very interesting because this is what the Jews are waiting for. Now, the Jews rejected Jesus because they would not accept this. Here's the thing. What does it mean, has conquered because it says the root of David has conquered. What does it mean conquer? This conquered means he conquered death. Because there's no other conquest that is better or greater than death. Jesus has conquered death, which means there was none before Jesus. There was none after Jesus who conquered death. You go through all the history in the world. And documents after documents will prove that Jesus resurrected from the dead. He's the one who conquered death. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the root of David. So these wise men look at the heavens. They saw the star. They saw the constellations. And they saw, and they knew the meaning of it. Something is not right. We have to follow the star. And they tracked the star from Babylon all the way to Bethlehem. And they asked Herod, where is this king? So that we can worship him. You see, normally kings are now worshipped. But when they came to Herod, they said, where's this king so that we can worship him? Why? Because this king deserves worship. 
this king is different. It actually perfectly aligns with what happened in the wilderness. Do you remember what happened in the wilderness with Jesus after 40 days and 40 nights? He was tempted by the devil. And the devil said, if you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do this or do that. Now, what's happening here? The first temptation was, if you bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, if you're not familiar with that language, that language is the language of inheritance. What is Satan doing here? Satan is trying to tell Jesus that if you bow down to me, if you acknowledge me as the creator and your father, I will give you your inheritance, all the kingdoms of the world. This is an inheritance language. Satan is pretending to be the creator and the father, but Jesus knew. Satan knew that Jesus knew. That's why Satan said, if you are the son of God, he knew that he is the son of God, and yet he tempted him. Why? Because he's in human form. So it perfectly aligns that this Jesus is the king who will inherit all the kingdoms of the world. You connect the dots. Matthew 28, when he, before he ascended to heaven, he said, all authority has been given unto me. What authority? The one that Satan was trying to tempt him with. I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world. Authority to rule all the kingdoms of the world. This is the language of inheritance. This is the language of the inheritance that was passed on to us. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. The authority of Jesus was passed on to us. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall inherit the earth. We are the inheritors, just like Jesus. Satan was trying and pretending to be the creator, but he was not. The true illegal settler was Satan, and it was a cheap shot. So in chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 3, it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Why was Herod troubled that the wise men were looking for the king? Because he was king. If the wise men were saying, there's another king that was born, and you're king, this is a bad day for Herod. Why? Because there's only one throne in Israel. Here's the trivia here. Herod is not a Jew. Herod is an Edomian. So he lobbied in the Senate of Rome, and the kingship was granted to him by Rome. He was not elected by the people. There was no prophet who anointed him as king. Rome appointed him as king. Now he's troubled because there cannot be two kings. But it says all Jerusalem were also troubled. Why? Because if that is so, if there are two kings, there will be civil war. Remember what happened to David and Saul when they were both anointed at the same time? They were all struggling. Saul was trying to kill David. There was almost a civil war. And at this point, there will be a civil war. If the people will recognize a new king, a Jewish king, Herod will fight to the death. And he would, will not do that. Now, what's interesting here is that since there's only one king, Herod will not give up his throne. But you see, Herod was 
confronted by lots of evidence. He was confronted by the fact that the wise men came all the way from Babylon. He was confronted by the scribes, the priests, who told him that in Hosea, it was a, there was a prophecy that this new king will be born in Bethlehem. There are tons of evidence that says to Herod, this is the legitimate king, and you are not. And so Herod has two choices, really. He's got two choices. He can either submit to the will of God and, and vacate the throne, or he can raise his fist against the heaven and say, no way. The Bible said, Herod ordered the mass murder of all the Hebrew boys two years and younger after the wise men left. He would not bow down to God. He would not submit to the will of God. He raised his fist against the heaven. He wants his throne. He wants to remain king. I'm trying to reflect on this. What could this mean to us? And I realized that there's Herod in all of us. We all have Herod complex. We, we live and pretend to be king of our lives. Most of the time, when we make plans for our future, it's really our plans. Most of the time, when we spend our money, our resources, it's really my money because I deserve it. I worked hard for it. Do you realize what, when you pray, Lord, this is my plan for 2023. Lord, this is, I want to have this. Lord, I want to do this. Lord, wait, who is king? If God is king, why is God, why, is, why are we giving God this option? See, God, when we do this, when we don't recognize the true king, we make God an advisor to the king, and that's you. You're the king, God is an advisor. That's why when we pray, we pray God to bless our plans. We pray God to bless our, our things, our, our businesses, our health, our, it, anything. But you see, that is us being king of our lives. The Bible doesn't work that, like that. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Our heaven, our, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not my will. But God's will be done in our lives. If God is king, his will is our priority. If God is king, my plans, my future, my resources, my time, my skill is subservient to God's will. That means next year, when you make plans, you must be thinking, how am I going to spend my money? How am I going to schedule my calendar? How am I going to spend my my vacation, are these going to be in submission to God's will? How am I going to spend my skills? How, how am I going to live in a certain way that is submissive to God's will? Not my will, but God's will. See, the struggle is we have two choices like Herod. We can either submit to the will of God, bend our knees and say, Jesus is Lord. There's only one Lord and King in my life. That's Jesus. Or we can raise our fist against the heaven and say, no, take a back seat. I'm doing this. I've always, I always remember that song. You know, the very popular song, I Did It My Way. The end is near. 
I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna say. But that, that's the whole idea of, of I did this my way. Who is really king in your lives? So as we pause, I'd like you to close your eyes and as I pray, I'd like you to think, who's king of my life? Is it me who is in the driver's seat and driving to any direction that I want? Or is it Jesus as king of my life? And anything that he wants, I do because he is king. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the reminder once again. Thank you because it's really you are king of our lives. And whether we acknowledge you or not, you are still king. Whether few people acknowledge you or many people acknowledge you, you are still king. And yet the Bible said that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Time will come that this will become a reality. Let it be true to all of us. Father, we, we ask you for your forgiveness. But there are times that we falter. There are times that we just, we just do what we want. We don't consult you of what you want. We just ask you to bless what we want. Father, forgive us for not submitting to your will. But we are making a decision today. The last day of the year. Tomorrow will be the new day. It will be a new year. And we are saying, Lord, you are king of our lives. You are our king. And we submit to you. And you only. Father, I pray even for those who are not here. I pray even for those who are on vacation or out of town. I pray for whatever reason they are not here. I pray that you will also extend your blessings to them. I pray that in this church, your name will be glorified. That's the true king. There's only one king reigning in our hearts. That's Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.